Greetings, everyone. This is Joyce Davis, Penn Lives Outreach and Opinion Editor, and this is Battleground PA. We're going to have our trusted analysts join us, Rajat Harris for the Democrats and Jeffrey Lord for the Republicans, to talk about everything from the legendary and much beloved Ruth Bader Ginsburg to what can we do about these kids on college campuses with the coronavirus. So stay tuned. We will be back for another episode of Battleground PA. This is Battleground PA, a Penn Live podcast discussing the issues that matter to Pennsylvanians and documenting the events in our state that will shape the battle for your vote in the 2020 presidential elections. Okay, we are back. And again, this is Joyce Davis, Penn Live's Outreach and Opinion Editor. And yes, this is Battleground PA. If you would like to join us, please do so by sending us an email at topics at battlegroundpa.org. You can send your ideas for new episodes there. And you can also join us on Twitter and Facebook at Battleground PA. Now, I want to now welcome Rajette Harris for our Democrats. Welcome, Rajette. Hello, everyone. Nice, nice to have you here. Jeffrey, are you there representing the Republicans? I am present and accounted for. All right. Well, let's let's sink right into it. Uh, there is, again, so much to talk about, but we have to start, I believe, uh, with paying tribute to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She clearly, whether you agreed or disagreed with her uh, views on the world, on our nation, and on things like um, representing minority populations and women's issues, uh, she clearly uh, had an influence in our country. And, Rochette, why don't I start with you? I mean, when you think of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and what she meant for this country and for, well, just just for the, the law. I mean, it's it's almost breathtaking. Well, she was a trailblazer for women, especially when you think she was born in 1933. So imagine when she was even coming up. Uh, gender equality was the hallmark of her entire legal career. Uh, the movie that came out on her uh, first Supreme Court case last year. Um, it was amazing to watch uh, that movie because you kind of saw what she had to go through. At one point, her husband was asked to argue the case be before the Supreme Court because, you know, they didn't think a woman would be able to argue the case. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they say small but mighty. I mean, she was <laughs> tough. <laughs> she was a tough woman. Um, and she had a supportive husband that did not argue the case and, and stood up for her. And I think it also shows what happens when you have a supportive spouse, someone who believes in you. And she was able to reach her uh, potential. Um, she was just a trailblazer. She's just a trailblazer. And she was very uh, opinionated. But like you said, whether or not you agree with her or not, she stood firm in her beliefs. And she was always able to back it up with facts. And that's why she had the respect of people of all different political philosophies. Yep. She was a hard worker, but that's a very good point. And, and that she did have a support system around her, including her husband. And it, it, I can attest, it does help to have a very good husband, which, I, which I do have, but, but Jeffrey, let me bring you in here. Um, clearly even the, the president, when, at least when he first heard of her death, 
uh, was, seemed to be to respond in a way that was quite respectful and that was uh, acknowledged the role that she had played in our country. Um, I'm sure you also are want to pay a little bit of a tribute to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Well, sure, she 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 did a. I mean, I didn't agree with her, but she did a terrific job, and I I certainly think that one of the things that she led by example with was her friendship with Justice Scalia. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they were very, very close and total ideological opposites. And I think, uh, if anything, um, they were role models in how to conduct uh, political discussions. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And, um, you know, the, the, the thing that I, though, think we're going to miss is that uh, very, very strong voice for uh, the disenfranchised, people that 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 really want and need a voice in the in the halls of power. Um, I, I will say that it looks like um, while her body will lay in state and she will have all the official honors, the president is moving rather quickly. Uh, and uh, Rajat, I, that is causing some concern, I'm sure, for the Democrats. He's moving rather quickly to replace our Yes. And this is why, you know, when President Obama was still in office, he had asked her to uh, resign so that he could choose her replacement. As we all know, she's had health issues for a very, very, very long time. Um, And then you put that couple of that with her age. um, There was concern. And when elections happen, you never know uh, who's going to win. Um, we've had the discussion before about term limits, lifetime appointments, things of that nature, but, you know, elections have consequences and (laughs) we're in this situation. I do want to read a couple of quotes though, uh, from Republicans. Please do. Here's one, uh, for Senator Pat Toomey. This was in 2016 with the United States Supreme court's balance at stake. And with the presidential election fewer than eight months away, it is wise to give the American people a more direct voice in this election and confirmation of the next justice. Uh, Ted Cruz, it has been 80 years since the Supreme court vacancy was nominated and confirmed in an election year. There is a long tradition that you don't do this in an election year. Mitch McConnell, the American people should have a voice in the selection of the next Supreme Court justice. Therefore, this vacancy should not be filled until we have a new president. And the list goes on and on and on. I have like three pages full of Republicans who in 2016 cried we should not uh, fill a justice seat when President Obama was still president, of course, have now changed course now that uh, Justice Ginsburg has died. Um, and this is why, you know, the American people don't like politicians, frankly, because they change their opinion based on what's convenient for them. With that said, uh, President Trump does have the right to nominate someone. And it's obviously going to go through whether now or after the election. Um, it's just unfortunate that all these Republicans are now changing course when it's convenient for them. Well, Jeffrey, let me bring you in here. I mean, that's um, that's some pretty clear statements there that happened under <clears throat> President Obama's watch. I mean, that doesn't cause you any concerns that at least there's no a- because no and- because she's she's left something out. Let me read you this quote from Senator Mitch McConnell in 2016. Quote: Remember that the Senate has not filled a vacancy arising in an election year when there was divided government since. 1888, unquote. And what did we have in 2016? We had divided government. 
We had a Democrat in the White House and Republicans controlled the Senate. They acted on precedent uh, over, you know, this has been done over and over and over and over again. So there is there is no contradiction here. This is exactly what Senator McConnell was talking about in 2016. And this is what's being done. The president and the Senate are of the same party. There is no divided government. He has a constitutional obligation to make this appointment. He's indicated that he's going to announce this uh, nomination at five o'clock on Saturday, and it's going to be a woman. Um, So there you go. Uh, Just two more quotes real quick. If an opening comes up in the last year of President Trump's term and the primary process has already started, we should wait to the next election. 2018 Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican. I don't think we should be moving on a nominee in the last year of this president's term. I would say that if it was a Republican president, 2016 Senator Marco Marco Rubio. Yep, and they're wrong. The president, the president is since 1888. Don't do it when there is divided government, and there was divided government when President Obama was in office. So that's the precedent. Well, uh, look, it's clear we're not going to agree on this one. I, <laughs> no. No, we're not going to agree, uh, but it does look like arguments are simply being fabricated to to, to cover the, the power the struggle that's going on here. Um, if you just look at it objectively, if you were going to go by one set of rules, then you should go by the other set of rules. But, hey, as I say, we're not going to agree on this one. Let's. Let's just move. There on. is one other thing that I'd, I'd, I'd like to touch on. I've worked on five Supreme Court nominations when I was in the Reagan White House, including Judge Bork. And what has been happening since? Notice that when President Obama or, or President Clinton appointed uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg in Clinton's case, or uh, Elena Kagan and Sonia Sotomayor, they weren't Borked. Republicans didn't do that to them. Yet when Republicans appoint justices, whether beginning with Judge Bork, it could have been Justice Alito. It could be uh, this nominee, certainly, that's that's coming along. It has been others, Clarence Thomas, notably. Democrats conduct search and destroy missions to destroy the nominee, to destroy their reputation. This is what they did to Brett Kavanaugh. And I think it's safe to say the American people don't like it. And I can guarantee you they will, whoever this nominee turns out to be, they're going to try and do the same thing to this poor soul. And I just think it's disgraceful and it needs to stop. Well, no, Brett Kavanaugh uh, had some serious allegations alleged against him that, that were needed not true. to be fleshed out, that needed to be fleshed out uh, before any type of appointment took place. I mean, we have to take sexual assault accusations seriously, regardless of who the individual is. Uh, Democrats have done that to Democrats, which, you know, I don't want to get off the topic on that. But, you know, the Republicans kept President Obama when he was president from uh, uh, in his last year on um, appointing a Supreme Court justice. So this is something that both sides have done. We didn't even get into the nuclear option. As you know, you used to need a bipartisan support to uh, appoint a justice. That changed. So now it's it's majority rules. I actually think it's a disservice to the American public because this, to me, is more important than this upcoming election because well, it's, <laughs> it's changing the course Absolutely. of the direction of this country for a generation, pretty much the rest of our lives and maybe Absolutely. even younger than us. 
So, you know, this is a very, very, very serious uh, situation right now and should not be rushed or taken lightly, regardless well, I, of who the appointment the is. You make, the points you make are true. It's going to definitely change the course of the country. But you know what? On the other side, they think the course of the country needs to be changed. So unfortunately, this is where the divide is. It's, it's um, you know, let's let's move on, because I know we won't agree on this one. <laughs> this is this is not one we can. That have. is correct. But I will say, well, you know, elections matter. Elections matter, and I hope people look at this and vote. Get out and vote, exactly. So, but let's move on. We've got a, a lot of ground to cover before in our uh, time here, and I want to just spend a little bit of the time, uh, Jeffrey. There still seems to be a whole uh, increasing number of disaffected Republicans, including uh, Cindy McCain. Now uh, she's gone on on record now as endorsing Joe Biden. And uh, she is actually, she's saying, even though she doesn't necessarily agree with all of his politics, he's a decent man. And she knows he will stand up for the values as a nation. How are Republicans uh, stopping this outflow of, of people? What, I mean, well, I don't think it's very I don't think it's very many at all. And in the Cindy McCain's case, let's just remember that her husband detested the president and uh, voted <laughs> after running for reelection, promising to repeal Obamacare. Uh, gave thumbs down to it famously, uh, simply because he didn't like the president. So there's a lot of personal animus there, and I, I get it, but that's not in any way indicative of what's going on. I mean, just over the weekend, I was in Washington County to speak to, uh, a group turned, there were a thousand people, literally, that turned out very enthusiastic Trump supporters. Uh, I mean, this party at its base level is, is totally supportive of the president and enthusiastic. Um, all the, he was in Pittsburgh last night, Mammoth Rally. He will be here in uh, Middletown uh, at the airport on Saturday night. And I guarantee you, he will be well received. So Cindy McCain is not in any way indicative of what's really going on here. Well, I don't know. I I continue to get, I will be publishing a few of them. I continue to get op-eds almost, you know, several a week from Former Republicans who now say they won't do it, including this group in Republicans for Integrity. They have this campaign going on. So there is something going on, Rajette. Are you and well, all the ones that showed up at the at the convention? Yes, there's there's something going on. Now, obviously, the entire Republican Party is not going to vote for Joe Biden. But the phone calls as a Democratic County chair that I get from just average voters, not people involved with the process like Jeffrey and I are that I get from Republicans asking for Republicans for Joe Biden signs is it's a daily, it's a daily. And that's just one County here. So we are going to have a group of Republicans who are not pleased with the way the president has been running this country that is going to vote at least in this particular election. I do see a lot of vote splitting this year that might vote for Joe Biden for president, but stay Republican for the rest of the the rest of the the the, uh, the elections that are up. So we are going to see that. And and just I, I just want to correct one thing. It's not fair to say that you know you're right that President Trump did run on a repeal Obamacare, but he also ran on to replace it. And there was a lot of people in Arizona, I have no doubt, that did benefit from Obamacare. So just to ask a senator to repeal something, but don't have anything to replace something you're taking away from, from a constituent is a completely different thing. And we've already discussed the, he's a loser because he was a, 
prisoner of war situation. So there's more to the relationship between the late John McCain and President Trump than you're alluding to. Well, let's stop right here. I'm going to have to take a break. And when we come back, we'll pick it up where we left off, especially with this issue of I think we do have to talk about the health care thing and then the coronavirus. So we've got a lot still to, to get under our belt here. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Okay, we are back, and this is Joyce Davis, Pin Live's opinion and outreach editor, and this is Battleground PA. I'm here with Rajat and with Jeffrey, and we were talking about, Jeffrey, I know you've raised this issue before. I mean, we can't have people losing their insurance, and certainly explain why the push to take away, you know, the protections for pre-existing conditions, um, especially in the middle of a coronavirus. I mean, can you- Well, the president, the president- the, the president doesn't support that, uh, n- number number one. And number two, let's recall that uh, President Obama said, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. If you like your insurance, you can keep your insurance. And that was not true. That was not true. My own mother lost her doctor because of Obamacare. Right. Okay. Um, we got that. But I'm talking about right now, there seems to be a push to get rid of this at a time when nothing is there to replace it. Uh, Rajat, I don't know. What, what, what's your thoughts on this? Well, that's the whole point. And, you know, Democrats have admitted that the uh, the Affordable Care Act needs improved. We don't want to obviously strip the entire Affordable Care Act because it has given millions of Americans health care. It's especially been great for students who are able to stay on their parents, um, their parents uh, uh, health care plan up until age 26. So it does have a lot of good parts to it. But it's not perfect. And we do admit that. So let's fix it. But you just don't take something away from millions of people if you don't have something to replace to give it to them. That's the problem that the Republicans have had. And that's why Democrats won so largely in 2018 to take back over the Congress and to improve our numbers in the Senate, not counting what we won on the legislative level, on the state level, because Republicans made all these promises on health care and didn't fulfill any of them. Even now, running for re-election, what is the Republican plan for health care? I still yeah, couldn't tell you. That, that's a very good question. And, and frankly, Jeffrey, I'll tell you, I want to get to to the coronavirus problems here in the state. But frankly, if the president, the president could take a stronger stand on this, if he he likes to whip people into shape, he certainly could whip them into shape over this. Don't take away this protection before we have something to replace it. I don't hear his voice screaming on that. He screams on a lot of things. Well, I think I think, you know, in I mean, this is totally subjective, but I think the president certainly feels, I mean, one of his main issues was the court. And uh, one, his other main issue was the economy. So he's running on those two main issues. I mean, that's what people have said was important to them on the Republican side of the aisle. So that's what he's doing. You don't think their health care is important to him? I mean, if, if he really... I, I don't think that, I don't think in, uh, you know, poll after poll after poll, shows that healthcare is well down the list of things they're concerned about. But coronavirus isn't. Coronavirus is first, and that is healthcare, uh, Jeffrey. Uh, and let's let's just move on here, too, because it looks like a federal judge has denied Governor Tom Wolf's request for a stay on these pandemic restrictions. So now everybody can come out and kiss and hug and meet together. And, I mean, what is that about? 
I mean, in, either one of you can kind of tackle this. Why would you prevent a governor from being able to for, to enforce things that that are about public health? Well, this is the first time the governor has actually lost one of these suits, and I am encouraged that it could be overturned and during his appeal. But in the meantime, we're going to have to exercise personal responsibility. Remember, things can't occur or be open if people don't go. Yeah, so but you, you know, people are going to have to make are going to have to make uh, some smarter decisions here. I hear you, Rochette, but I'm going to tell you, it, it, again, just like the country's divided politically, it's divided on what they whether they think this virus is going to kill them or not. I mean, Jeffrey, I know you've seen people, we had this discussion. You think it's up to the person to wear his mask or not because it's freedom, whether or not they end up killing someone else. I mean, I don't see everybody getting on but board. But you can, Joyce, you, you can apply that all across the board to all kinds of things. Why do we let people drive cars when when people get there are car accidents every day and people get killed? We make them get a driver's license. We make them not drink and drive. We there are still accidents. There are still there are still accidents and people are getting killed. So we should ban cars. That's the logical. That's where you go with that logic. Put restrictions on where people can get until we come up with a virus, we, a, a, a vaccine. We put restrictions so that you don't hurt other people. It's the same with cars or anything else. When it looks like you're going to hurt somebody else, we even make people wear helmets when they when they uh, on bicycle. Come on, that's just to protect their own heads. <laughs> I mean, anyway, I don't know where this is going, but but you're right. At, at until the courts rule, it looks like we're going to have to hope. People have some common sense, but but again, is the president still going to have these big rallies where people are now? He can have as many as he wants, right? At least in Pennsylvania, and people. Well, can he not- already is. I saw a picture when he was out in the Pittsburgh area. Uh, was that yesterday or, or earlier this yeah, week? Yeah, I watched it live, and and the number yeah, of people there with hardly any masks, and the number there, there were a lot of people with masks have been going in that area. So there were a lot of people with masks and. And they were outside, just, just like the just that, like the protests over George Floyd were outside. Yes, but a lot of those had masks on. But you know, it's really sad to me that believing scientists, scholars, historians, economists, and journalists, you know, have that people believe that these scientists are devoting their entire lives to deceiving people, but yet they're going to believe a reality TV star. <laughs> I, this is absolutely amazing uh, to me. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing it's, to me, too. I don't, I'm not going to say this wasn't a good week for the Democrat Party because this goes beyond politics. This is bad for the for the American people because you're going to have people who are going to be careless, that are going to have big gatherings, big groups. And, you know, if you want to risk your own life, that's on you. But then they're going to take that back to other people. And well, but I, I just again, the, 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 these concerns were not expressed with all of the protests over George Floyd. No, Governor Wolf, him, Governor Wolf himself no. violated his own rules and and went on one of these marches, and there was absolutely zero social distancing. I've seen the pictures. No, None. Was and elbow bumps and everything else. He did have a mask on. Remember, he's not saying you can't gather. You're taking it to the other extreme. He's just trying to limit. 
And as we all know, things are safer outside than they are inside. And some of these rallies the president are holding is inside. They're not all outside. They're doing most of them. Most of them are, in fact, outside. The one last night was outside. Uh, The one on Saturday is going to be out. It's going to be in an airport hangar that's wide open. So for the record, where, where Joyce stands, whoever is out there not social distancing and not wearing masks inside outside is is really risky behavior and it's foolish behavior it is not wise in these times and that for the left for the right for the middle for the in between we all need to exercise caution if we care about people but anyway we go and even now at the schools it looks like many of our colleges throughout the nation are what guess what finding an uptick and people coming down with the coronavirus because the kids and look, uh, there was an article, I believe it, it may have been on CNN that talks about the schools placing too much of the burden on students to act like they're 50, 60 year olds and and social distance. And I mean, I don't know how you guys are feeling, but the school situation continues to be worse than Roget. It is. It, it's very concerning. And now we have uh the Republican-controlled legislature today in Pennsylvania trying to overturn the governor's veto on sports. And his sole purpose is to, again, protect our children. Well, what's what's more important, football game or the health of our children? Well, I... As I think I indicated, it was, uh, and I had a conversation with a reporter the other day uh, who covers Pennsylvania. And in talking to people, she was getting this uh, constant feedback from parents, m- mothers in particular, that they were angry that their kids weren't being allowed to play sports. Um, the fact of the matter is that if the parent doesn't want the child to play, the child isn't going to play, period. That's it. Um, so they don't need the governor to be making that decision. Let the parents make the decision. But, but, but yeah, oh. Elected officials have to think of every child, not just one. And parents get upset with teachers all the time. That's why you have PTA meetings and whatnot of decisions that are made at these schools. But you have to think of the whole, not the one. And that's really a problem with American society. You know, this me, me, me instant gratification is really coming to the forefront right now that we're not. Well, what you, what you get, what you get all the time. This is always the rationale for big and bigger government. And and we're going to have the government do this and the government do that. And people finally have had enough of it. It's authoritarian in nature and they don't like it. Well, we'll see what people think on November 3rd. Some are really concerned about the lack of concern over people's neighbors and over in general public health. And I, I'm, I'm all for personal freedom, but not when it kills, not when it kills someone else. That is the problem we're having. And especially now with our young people, I, I just I just don't see how I mean, we'll see what happens with the sports. But um, it, it, it just doesn't make sense. Also, they go out there and they get sick. And they can't play, and their parents are sick, and they can't. What is the? Can I ask the question? What is the death rate here with this, with the, these kids in colleges? 
I, I have not checked into what the death rate is, but but young people do die. And the problem that we have is it's not predictable who are the young people that will die until we know more and can predict whether that three-year-old or that 12-year-old, which one, whether they because they have 20 years or they have, you know, longer eyelashes, those are the ones that die. We don't know. So you're the rate, the rate, I, the rate, according to all the health reports and official reports from the government that I have read, is extremely low. But, it but it's is, not just I, about death, though. It's not just about death. There are long-lasting effects of this virus. And for argument's sake, say you recover. Who still wants it? This reminds me of when I was in high school, and I remember these commercials. And there was one specifically about a, uh, a STD. They had people running on the beach, like they were enjoying running down the beach. But yet this medicine was supposed to help uh, cure this STD. Who still wants it? <laughs> That's the point. That's the point of the coronavirus. Who still wants it? We don't want anyone to get it if you don't have to. Now, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm conservative on this coronavirus. I'm about doing everything you can to prevent it, to lock down. And to, I am just conservative to try to make sure we save lives because we're over all, heading over 200,000 people here. I mean, this is just not what we want for our country. We, we should have managed this thing better. That's just the fact. Well, let, let me just disagree Go with ahead. that. The, the projections that I went back and checked were that between one and a half to two million people in America were going to die of this virus. The number is 200,000. One is too many. But Jeffrey, to say I, that this was not well handled when, in fact, we never even got close to one and a half or two million deaths. Handled, certainly not well handling communication from the president. That is just a fact. And and to have the CDC coming out and saying something, then revoking it and coming back, it just is creating too much chaos and confusion when there should be clarity for people. And you can say what you want. You can go back and look at projections, but whose projections? And you can look at a slew of projections and they say different things based on the conditions. So let's not fool the American people. Let's not fool our, our listeners. This is a catastrophe. It's a catastrophe from so many different areas. But we're now headed to, we got to talk about economics. And it looks like people are worried about a half the Americans, according to bank note, one of the half of American people are worried about catching up on bills and how they're going to pay bills. Any thoughts on that? How that's going to play out? Oh, well, well the economy certainly has been recovering school. from the pandemic. There's no question about that. What's that, Jeffrey? I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said the economy has been recovering from the pandemic. There's no question about that. Well, we've I mean, had unemployment, unemployment keeps dropping faster than they thought it was going to drop. Well, I don't know. They're still concerned about the high uh, uh, unemployment rate. And we've had three days. Apparently yesterday, the stock market steadied itself. But that stock market is still looking pretty scary to me. Uh, Rajat, how are, how are things looking on your end? Well, businesses continue to close. Uh, people can't afford their bills. There still isn't a stimulus package to help not just, say, the renter, but also the mortgage company and the, the rental office company. And now the focus is obviously on pushing through a Supreme Court nominee. So, again, the welfare of the American people are going to be put on the back burner because of political agendas. Let, let me let me just, I think, correct something. I think when I was getting ready to turn in last night, there was an announcement that an agreement on the stimulus package had been reached. I haven't checked this morning, but I do think that there has been progress made on this. 
Well, let's hope because let me tell you, we really do need a stimulus, I think, to keep our people going to be. If people have no money and their bills are starting to come due around November 3rd, I, I can guess <laughs> I could guess they're not going to be pretty happy campers going to the polls or even sending in their. Well, the heat, the heat clearly has been felt and, and Pelosi and company and McConnell and company have apparently worked this out. At least so, that's my understanding well, as of the moment. Let's keep our fingers crossed because the one thing we need to make sure is that people can put food on their tables. Am I right? So, uh, you know, we're, we're these are still troubled times. We are still in a nation that is in turmoil, that is in turmoil on so many different levels, from a pandemic to racial unrest to concerns about whether women's rights are going to continue to be protected. Let me tell you, it, it this is like a confluence of disasters coming on us. I hate to leave on such a bummer, but how, how about you guys? Any positive things we can leave our listeners with? Yes, Christmas is December 25th. Yay! All right, all right. Well, that's good for Christians, but we do have other people who may not care about that day. Right. You know, I, all I have to say is elections matter, and we're seeing it play out right now. Vote. Vote, vote, vote. I think we can. Ah, wonderful. We can all agree on that, Jeffrey, right? We yes, want everyone absolutely. Vote. Express their views and vote. So with that, I'm going and to. Somebody, and somebody out there, please pick up Joyce on Election Day and take her to the polls. <laughs> No, she won't go. Remember, she's already going to be careful. <laughs> carefully. But anyway, thank you guys both for joining me once again for uh, talking about these most troubled times. So with that, enjoy the rest of your day. Bye-bye, Rougette. Bye-bye, Jeffrey. And thank Bye, everyone. Uh, bye, guys. Bye.